Welcome to In Conversation, the regular podcast of Encompass. Go to encompass-europe.com for free access to all our podcasts to date. This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Enrico Letta. Enrico Letta is a former Prime Minister of Italy, Presidente del Consiglio, and is now Dean of the Paris School of International Affairs at Sciences Po in Paris. Welcome to the podcast, Enrico. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, my, my pleasure. I'd like this podcast to, to focus uh, on a number of things, but starting with the state of, of public opinion in, in Italy when it comes to the European Union. You're, as you know, much better than I do, the, Italy has a reputation of being one of the most, if not the most, Europhile member states in the European Union. But is that still the case? Can we still take Italian almost unconditional support for the European Union for granted? No, no. It was uh, the case in the past but the situation changed radically in the last 10 years. And I think because of two crises, first, the financial crisis, 8-12, that was the first big problem for the Italian public opinion to recognize the European Union as a, a true friend, friend of reasons of solidarity and need to help Italy. And the second crisis was, and maybe it was the most important uh, one for this uh, uh, raising Euroscepticism, it was the refugee welcome crisis. Right. That was another reason, another moment where the Italians started to think that Europeans were not so uh, pushing solidarity. Uh, and then this uh, third crisis, and at the very beginning, the reaction was very negative. So um, I am more optimistic today because the reaction to the big change in the European response in the last weeks uh, is considered as positive in Italy, is largely positive, but uh, uh, the beginning of the crisis and the two previous crises created a completely different situation. Okay. Well, I promise we'll come on to the COVID-19 crisis and the European response uh, in a moment. But before we do that, so we talked about public opinion uh, on Europe, uh, Enrico. But what about elite opinion? You know, the, the Italian establishment, uh, especially political parties, how do they view the European project? Uh, the uh, Italian parliament had uh, 18 elections, the election of 2018 that changed completely the geography, the landscape of the parliament. And in this parliament, uh, you had the leading role of a completely new movement, Five Stars, uh, without a precise idea on a European uh, uh, policy. So it was a sort of surprise to understand uh, the line and the political uh, missions of Five Stars on Europe. At the very beginning, they backed Salvini's anti-European uh, mood. And that was for the first Conte government, 18-19. Uh, uh, Italy was isolated. Uh, the only ally was Orban, uh, and the other ally was the Polish government. Uh, but for the rest, uh, Italy had a very, very uh, tough relationship with Germany, France, Brussels, uh, and so even Spain. Then the situation has changed because the, the new government is, I think, the most pro-European government that this parliament can support. And this government uh, uh, decided to change uh, the uh, strategy at the European level. So they decided to be in an alliance with France, Spain, Portugal, Belgium, Ireland. And this alliance was decisive to convince Germany to change. And so I think my feeling is that 
the change of government in uh, September 19 in Italy was also decisive for Europe because that was uh, a, a very important change in the European landscape. Italy with France, Spain and the others uh, was able to convince Germany and to change the political landscape, to isolate uh, the Netherlands and to create the conditions for this revolutionary recovery plan and this new situation that we are experiencing today. I think uh, uh, the Italian establishment uh, now is more pro-European and uh, the way in which this recovery plan is organized with a lot of solidarity, help to southern countries is helping this uh, more pro-European approach of the establishment in Italy today. Okay, we'll devote the, the final part of this conversation to the recovery plan and, and Italy's role in making it happen. Going back a few years, with your immediate predecessor's Prime Minister, Mario Monte, I remember being at a conference in Florence. Uh, he'd just been become Prime Minister, I think, at the time, when he made the statement in English, uh, Italy is back in Europe and Europe is back in Italy. Um, Mario is not known for hubris. I just wonder why you think he said those kind of things. It suggested maybe that before him, uh, Italy had had kind of abandoned Europe or Europe had abandoned Italy. Uh, and do you think that while he was prime minister and you taking, taking over from him, you managed to pursue a more Euro pro-European path from, as prime ministers, both you, you and him? Uh, you know, Italy had in the first part of the crisis, uh, the previous crisis, eight, nine, 10, 11, uh, I think uh, it was a very complicated relationship with Europe. But uh, Italy was not only, it was not the unique responsible for that. I think there was also a part of responsibility in Europe on that. I say that today, uh, because of the response of today's crisis, mm. the response of today's crisis is a very uh, wise, courageous, effective, the right response. That was not the case 10 years ago. 10 years ago, we wasted four years from eight to 12. And in these four years, because of uh, reluctancy of Germans at that time, Germany was not able to push uh, like they did now in direction of a, a new proactive pro-growth policy, uh, how to tackle recession, the idea at that time was the majority of European countries under the leadership of Germany, the UK, Nordic countries thought that European Union is there to guarantee financial stability of the mm -hmm. system. Then uh, growth policies or social policies are only in the hands of national governments. And I think it's a mistake because now we all understood that uh, the Eurozone, but also the rest of the European Union, is a unique economic environment. You know, I think uh, in this crisis, a very important role was played by the leaders of the automotive German industry. Mm. They pushed Merkel and the German government to consider that even Mercedes or even all the big brands of German automotive industry are European brands because they are realized 
part of them are realized in Italy or realized in Spain. And Italy and Spain are other countries are not only markets to sell these cars. And you can substitute Italy with, I don't know, Singapore or Korea or Japan or Vietnam. No, you can't substitute uh, Italian firms, Italian SMEs working for Mercedes or for the other uh, big, big brands of uh, German automotive uh, leadership. So I think the consideration that now uh, the economic landscape is a united landscape at the European level was a very important step. That was not the case 10 years ago, and it was a big, big mistake. So um, uh, Berlusconi's government at that time was reacting to this situation. It was reacting also some Euroscepticism trends uh, within the government. Lega Nord was part of the government, and Lega Nord had always a very anti-European mood. Uh, and Monti's government was, yes, the way for, the, for, the, for, for Italy to start again a cooperation with the European um, Union. But at the same time, I have to say that uh, the European response was not at the level of the expectations and was not enough. And I think what, what we are experiencing today is the demonstration that today we have a response that is uh, at the level of the expectations, and I'm more optimistic today also because of the lessons learned uh, with the previous crisis. Okay. There's a pretty well entrenched narrative, especially actually in Italy, amongst Italians, that somehow Europe does not take Italy seriously and Italy lacks uh, influence in Europe, in the European Union. Uh, if you take the, a kind of sim simple measure of influence, which is the, who occupies the top Euro jobs, uh, the President of the European Council, the President of the European Commission, the President of the European Parliament, the High Representative for Foreign Security Policy, and last but not least, the President of the European Central Bank, as you know, this time last year, three of those five jobs were occupied by Italians. Um, so it is kind of strange that this, this narrative is so well entrenched. You had three, you Italy had three of the top five jobs less, less than a year ago. Yes, you're right. But at the same time, you have to consider that there was a very strong narrative against uh, Europe, against globalization, against the elite, against establishment. That was the narrative that brought five stars to the power in 18, and that brought uh, Salvini to win European elections in uh, um, 19. Uh, th there's a large part of the Italian voters, uh, after what happened in the last 10 years, they are convinced that uh, um, the European Union is, is not uh, uh, the way uh, to, to solve the problems. Uh, the European Union is, for Italy, is, is not uh, a positive asset. Uh, there's a very anti-elite uh, and anti-establishment approach, a very anti-globalization approach. Uh, is a sort of, uh, is not so far from some uh, thoughts or slogans that I heard in the UK in favor of Brexit in the debate that in the UK you had five years ago or in France in favor of uh, uh, souverainism, uh, patriotic souverainism uh, and, uh, and so on. Um, at the end of the day is part of this narrative, uh, the, the anywhere and the somewhere cleavage or uh, I think it's the fear of globalization. 
people are afraid of globalization, of the lack of certainties that the acceleration of globalization is bringing. And uh, you have to consider also the fact that the bad management or the mismanagement of the crisis 10 years ago brought Italy to have a decade of unprecedented high level of youth unemployment. Mm. This youth unemployment created an unprecedented brain drain in Italy. And so you had generations and generations of young Italians, usually well-educated young Italians, leaving the country and finding their opportunities out of the country. Uh, that created a problem in Italy because when you see this sort of exodus of such a group of young people educated with a very cosmopolitan approach, uh, you leave room to those who are not so cosmopolitan. That, that is the most important part of the electorate of, uh, of Lega Nord, for instance. Those thinking that uh, the most uh, right or impressive or good narrative is the victimistic narrative. To say that we are victim of a conspiracy because the Germans created the European Union for their own interest and they are taking advantage of that. Since we are in the European, in the Euro, in the Euro, we are uh, look, we are uh, losing uh, uh, space, room, momentum, and so on and so forth. So you have a large part of the voters that are convinced uh, uh, of these theories. I think uh, the next months will be decisive to change this narrative if we are able to apply what they are trying to decide at European level. Because if what they are deciding is really uh, able to be applied in a correct way and there's resources, investments, um, Italy can change and Italian voters can change their mind on, on being part of the European Union. Okay, let's, let's stay positive and look to the future. Uh, when talking about COVID-19 and the response of the EU to the crisis and the recovery fund. But you did hint uh, earlier, Enrico, that the, at the beginning, there wasn't exactly a huge outpouring of solidarity amongst member states. And, uh, and this, I think, is important that we don't forget that, even though we don't dwell on it. And quite exceptionally, as you, as you know, the it, Italy's permanent representative to the EU, uh, Maurizio Massari, wrote an op-ed for Politico early in March, uh, which was a very heartfelt article, a very critical, very quite rare for maybe a diplomat to write in those terms as opposed to a politician. And towards the end, he says in his article, the, the virus will pass, but any rotten seeds of complacency or selfishness will stay. Um, I think that kind of shocked people, no? It made people react? Were you surprised by the language that was used? No, it was the language that was really spread in Italy in the country, and it was shared by uh, many Italians. You have to consider also that the Italian president of the Republic made a speech, uh, if I'm not wrong, March the 6th, after uh, Christine Lagarde uh, uh, gaffe in the first uh, press conference. That was an unprecedented 
a very tough uh, warning to the European uh, uh, partners. Um, and, and at the very beginning, I think we were unlucky also because of the asymmetric way of the, of the virus to touch different countries. So virus touched Italy before the rest of Europe. And I have to be uh, sincere, we, we, we were all a little bit shocked by the, the delay in the comprehension mm. of, the, of the rest of Europe. I, I was commuting uh, as usual between Rome and Paris and I, I felt this lack of uh, comprehension in France, for instance, but it was the same in Spain, it was the same in Germany. In London, it was the same. So to say, oh, you are dramatizing a lot, you are too emotional, it's not necessary to lock down, it's not necessary to have all this reaction. And, and then for the first two, three weeks, this kind of asymmetric reaction was part of the problem of the European reaction. So uh, only at the end of, uh, at the beginning of April, I think the different countries started to think and to understand. And my feeling is that uh, um, there were two crucial and very important moments. One, uh, the German Constitutional Court decision mm -hmm. that was, uh, they score a goal in their own uh, <laughs> camp uh, because it was just supported by the Polish and, and, the, and the Hungarians. So it was clearly a too anti-European uh, decision. That pushed, I think, German government to move and maybe to overreact in a positive terms, if I may say. This is the and famous the questioning of the European Central Bank's um, intervention. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was too bad, this position. It was too bad for the Germans. Uh, and the second point is that uh, the, the, the Macron Merkel's meeting on uh, May 19th, uh, in my view, this meeting was true turning point. And my feeling is that it was a sort of whatever it takes to. Right. Uh, this May 19 uh, is like uh, July 26, 12. That was the day in which in London, uh, Mario Draghi uh, did this big change in, in, in this turning point in the monetary policy at the European level that made, made history. And I think we are again there because European Union with this idea of a, a, a fund uh, under uh, the Commission AAA uh, is a way to mutualize future debt. That is a revolution in Europe, is true a revolution. It's a revolution, but as you know, it's not exactly agreed by all member states yet. It obviously has proposed by the Commission, clearly endorsed by, as you say, Merkel and Macron. So that's a pretty important endorsement. But we still have this uh, phenomenon, if you want to call it a phenomenon, of the so-called frugal four, Netherlands, Austria, and uh, Denmark and Sweden, who seem still rather reluctant you know, to endorse the, the, the lines of the, the broad lines of the recovery fund uh, and, the, and the distribution of growth grants on the one hand and loans on the other? Or are you optimistic that all these differences will be sorted out in a, in a in relatively short space of time? I think the frugal force uh, will become uh, a single one uh, because I, I see Denmark, Sweden, 
Austria uh, taking some nuanced positions on that. Uh, I see the Netherlands uh, keeping their position and, and trying to substitute the UK in the European Union, being a sort of uh, doctor no in this kind of uh, uh, landscape. Right. But frankly speaking, I, I don't think that the Netherlands are uh, friendly with this position. It's not their position. Uh, the Netherlands is not an island. Netherlands is at the center of all trade system or uh, relationships is a funding father uh, so I'm I'm optimistic I, I think they will find a position I don't think that Germany can allow uh, a change in this position and German leadership in their presidency because July the 1st we will start with the German presidency of the European Union with the German president of the mm -hmm. European Commission I think that we will find uh, the right path. The crucial point is the implementation. Mm. This is the point. Because yeah. I see there the problems in Italy. Uh, problems today are, uh, uh, don't want to show too much optimism. In Italy, we have still problems, and the main problem is the, the implementation. Because many announcements, but uh, very, very slow implementation. People are uh, afraid that this implementation is, is will be the problem, and if you announce other big recovery mm. plan without fast implementation, that will create a sort of frustration uh, mood. So we have to work on that point. Well, I wanted to ask you maybe in the final part of this conversation, Enrico, about the implementation. Let's let me share your optimism, and that in the upcoming European summits in the coming weeks uh, before the summer, agreement is found despite the reticence of the Netherlands, um, and the fund is is a reality. Um, what, what, if you were in charge or you were around the European Council table, like you were in the past, what kind of signals would you give? What kind of advice would you give to make sure that the implementation doesn't meet all these obstacles that you're uh, fearful of uh, occurring? And especially, as you say, making sure that the fund starts acting in a very, very timely manner. What practical steps would you suggest? I have some, some, some points. The first point is that for a good narrative uh, for the European Union, it is important to link funds to link funds to the people, not to the states. Right. I see there always the problem of the European construction is to have this intermediation of member states that means uh, multiplication of bureaucracies and uh, many problems in the implementation. Mm. It would be better to link funds to uh, firms, companies, SMEs, mm. uh, unemployed people, workers. So this is my first point. My second point is to be uh, very good in pushing countries to use the ESM. This is the other main point. I think we have to... The European stability uh, mechanism, yeah. Yeah, because this decision to change the ESM and to have, in terms of uh, uh, use of DSM, the unique conditionality of uh, using it for uh, health expenditure, sanitary furnitures, or sanitary reforms, uh, is good. Uh, but you have to push countries to use it. Because today, there's a general reticence related to the Greek experience. 
and to have a sort of stigma against you if you use it, and to have a sort of bad message, bad mood, a bad image, bad brand. I think it's very important to have uh, a large number of countries using it uh, to avoid this stigma. Uh, and uh, is good because this money is there. It is there. It is not so complicated to use it. You can uh, push this money in the system, and this money can help many countries uh, to make money circulating and to uh, help economy immediately, not waiting for months or years for creating projects and so on. These are my two suggestions I hope are not are not just wishful thinking, but I think they are not so complicated to, to be applied. Right. One, one final question then, Enrico. There's a, it's a well-worn cliche that uh, Europe uh, emerges stronger from crises, whatever those crises are, or maybe Europe, maybe no more nuanced way to express it, almost as if Europe needs crises in order to emerge stronger. This current crisis clearly is a major crisis. Uh, what do you feel in broad terms? Will, it, will the European Union emerge stronger from this particular crisis? Yes, my answer is yes. Um, uh, the big decision today is a decision to have uh, a social Europe response and a response to tackle the real economy recession. That was not the case 10 years ago in the previous crisis. And I link uh, these decisions also to Brexit. It is clear that Brexit played a role. Uh, the, the, the discussing uh, and, and deciding without the UK on board on these topics, on social Europe, of course, it was easier today uh, rather than 10 years ago. Uh, and uh, but the big problem now is to be good in the implementation and to be able to 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 show the European citizens and the world that European Union is able learn the lessons and is able to tackle a crisis and to uh, exit and to have a uh, a stronger outcome from the crisis. So. Uh, I think last next year would be a crucial year for the future of Europe. We were close to the disaster, but we have another chance, and I'm very happy because of that. Well, we have to leave it there. Enrico Letta, thank you very much for your time. Thanks.